Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Tonight's lesson is Jehovah Elohim. I've been wanting to do a study for years, really, on the, the names of God, but, you know, God never really led me in that direction. Um, but I've been feeling it kind of coming on. And so probably we'll end up with a series as the Lord leads. There might be other lessons in between because I can only give what he gives me when I get it. But I, I think at least the major ones, because there's actually a lot of them. So it's like 50 something, I think, which we're probably not going to do all of that. But there's like eight or nine major ones that we'll do. And I, we already did Jehovah Jireh, my provider. So went back to the beginning. And tonight we're going to do Jehovah Elohim, which is the creator, God. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. You know, Leonard Ravenhill said, and we've quoted it a lot, that you know, they, didn't, they didn't ask him, teach me how to preach, teach me how to teach, teach me how to do miracles. They asked him, teach me how to pray. Because accessing the power of the kingdom of heaven is done through prayer. Everything in our faith we access through prayer. And if you know how to pray, then the rest will fall in line. So Jesus gives us the example in the Our Father, and in the very first lines, he says, hallowed be thy name. And then in every part after that, he's actually requesting resources to be able to do that. How to hallow his name, to honor it, to tell others of it, and to rightly represent it. So when you look at the Our Father, the prayer is a request to be able to hallow his name. And then asking for the resources to do it. So it's very important. Because the truth is, is that we tend to give God our own attributes. We bring ourselves into situations and tell others that it's God. And that's very dangerous. That's how we misrepresent him. And in fact, that's how doctrines of demons are invented. A lot of times when you look at these false doctrines or, or things that are not right, most times it's because a man is trying to give God one of his attributes, trying to fit God into their understanding or to limit him to who we are. God gives us his names in scripture to give us his attributes so we can see who he is in contrast to who we are. The psalmist says, let us magnify the name of the Lord, which means to look closely at, to examine so that's what we're going to do with this series, if the Lord sees fit, as the Holy Spirit gives it. So, the first question is, why does God have so many names? There's a lot of names. They're all descriptions of his attributes in relation to us. And as our relationship grows, so do the names deepen in meaning. Or we get to see different layers or aspects of who he is. We can kind of see this in our own life because we all have a lot of different names that people call us by, whether we realize it or not. My legal name is Miranda, but Ashley and Caleb call me Nanny and Hezekiah. That's two different names because there's different relationships. Some people call me Pastor. Some people have called me Prophetess. These aren't names that I seek, but it shows you a description of the relationship that I have with those particular people. Y'all like to torture me with first lady. 
there's many names. I'm an aunt. Some people are moms and dads. Some people call their spouses bae or baby because they're close to you. You have job titles from those who aren't so personal. We all have a lot of names. And since I'm using me for an example, let me take this opportunity to also say, don't make your salvation about the pronunciation of a name because you all know that a lot of people mispronounce my name also. Love Didi, he's probably 20 years old now and he still calls me Ramanda. <laughs> people call me Amanda and I, you know what? I almost never correct them even because I know that they're talking to me. So, yes, salvation can be found in a name, but it's the meaning of the name, not the pronunciation of the name. Jesus or Yahshua means salvation. And we do believe in his name. We believe in what it means. We believe in all the names of God and what they mean because they're the description. But when someone mispronounces or misspeaks my name altogether, I still know that they're talking to me and I respond to them all the same and I rarely even correct them for it. So just know that God understands your context when you don't get it right. Because there's some people that really go into the, the name thing and really make their salvation about the word that they're saying, almost like God's a genie in a bottle that they can control with the name. The pronunciation is not so important. When toddlers are walking around and calling me whatever can come out of their mouth, I'm still answering because I know what they're, that they're talking to me. All right, so let's read Genesis 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his works which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his works which God created and made. Interesting little side note here that God instituted the seven-day week and we still have a seven-day week today because God started it in creation. There's actually no astrological uh, reason for it. A lot of our spaces of time like months and years and comes from astronomical time spacings but the week there is none it's just that God made a seven-day week because it took seven days to create. And we still follow that. So the creation still declares his wonders. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth. And every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So man wasn't actually formed in Eden. He was formed and then put in Eden. And out of the ground made the Lord to grow 
every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pisan, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Haviel, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Beldinium, we'll go with that, we'll say it with confidence, <laughs> Beldinium, <laughs> and the onyx stone, and the name of the second river is Gehan, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia, and the name of the third river is Hadekiel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. From the beginning we were created to keep a garden. God gave man perfection and told him to maintain it. And you'll see that throughout scripture. God wants a partnership. He wants to teach his children. So he gives them perfection to start with and tells them to maintain it. There are things that we get at salvation that are perfection, but then he expects us also to maintain, to continue therein. Okay, so the first name that God is called in the entire Bible is mentioned in chapter one. We didn't read it, but it's Elohim. It's actually not really a name at all, but it's more of an, a title, and it encompasses an entire class of beings. That's why I didn't really start there. It's in this name, so we're going to cover them kind of both together. The Elohim simply means the heavenly beings, all of them, anything from heaven. So it can encompass angels, good and bad, archangels, seraphim, cherubim, the beast, fallen angels, those weird things that are around the throne that you can't really describe. Yep. All of those weird, crazy things that are listed. All the heavenly beings, including God and Jesus, because it says that Jesus went to be with the Father in heaven, so he's in heaven right now. So basically, any host of heaven is encompassed in the Elohim. God, however, is the Elohim of Elohim. Like we say, King of kings or Lord of lords. He is the head, the chief, the highest of all of the heavenly beings. You have something? Just curious, I don't know about the L. Is L like Lord of everything? L means leader, head or chief. If you just say, if you just say L, it could be the head of a household. Yeah, it could be the husband. You could be L of your house, or you could be L of a town. Right. Now it depends on the context in which it's written to know the definition of it. Right. L, L means to be first or to be head, so sometimes it can mean God because he is the first and he's the head of all. But just to say L doesn't denote just God because it can be the leader of anything. Like Danny is the L of the church, and, and you're the L of your family. But Elohim is specifically the heavenly beings, and then there is God who is the head of the Elohim. All right. It's kind of the same way we use the term like king of kings for Jesus. The king, he's the king, capital K, meaning that he's the head or chief of the group of people known as kings, small k. So God is the Elohim of the Elohim. But I do think it's important. God doesn't do anything for no reason. 
that the Bible starts, the very first mention of God is called the Elohim. And I think it's because the Bible has to begin with that establishment that he is the head. He is the first. He is the strongest. So the first mention in Genesis 1 is as him as the Elohim. There's nothing above God, period. So understanding that Elohim is actually more of a title, then we jump to Genesis 2, going down to verse 4 and 5, which is the first time that you see the personal name of God given in relation to man as his creator. So as long as man's not in the picture, you get this title of God as great. But as soon as you come down to the creation of man is the first time you get his personal name. So now there's an interaction, there's a relationship, he's personal. The personal name of God is given in verses 4 and 5. The first thing that God wants us to know about him is that he is our creator. Why do you think the devil works so hard to tear this attribute of God apart in the hearts of the little ones through pushing the teachings of evolution on them from their earliest years? Understanding this attribute of God is very important and all of the others that come after it are built upon it. Remove the foundation and the house won't stand. So you need to get this in your spirit. Verse 4 says, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God, you see where it says Lord God, in the original context, in the original text, that was the name given Jehovah Elohim. We're going to get more into that in a minute. We're going to get into a little bit of Hebrew at one point so our Hebrew students can... Uh, follow along and talk and read this and know what we're doing and correct me and make sure that we're doing it right. Jacob has agreed to supervise <laughs> my, my Hebrew because I've been to Hebrew class three times and never finished. I tried. Things always came up and I could never, and I wanted to, but we always got pulled to other ways. So I guess I got just enough. <laughs> I can do this lesson. <laughs> I got just enough to be able to, to do what God gives me, but I'm not great at it. So, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the Hebrew before it grew. And the Lord God, again, that's the name, the title, had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. All right. We're going to look deeper, and I'm going to explain to you why it only says Lord God and the different layers of where that name is actually listed. All right, these names of God describe his character and attributes to us. They paint a picture for us to draw from. God is a father, and therefore he is a teacher. He instructs us in how to think more like him by giving us a perfect picture, then allowing us to draw from it while instructing us on how to maintain its pure message. So what do you think about when you think of God as your creator or even as the creator of all? Just painting that picture because this is the description of this God as our creator and the creator of all as your creator. When you think of him as creator, what do you think of? I think of grandness, greatness, omnipotence, majesty, strength, impossible, unmatchable power, that nothing is too hard for him. 
nothing is too big. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways of thinking of him as the creator of all, that nothing is too big for him. He's bigger than everything. There's nothing that he can't do, undo, or redo. It stirs awe, faith, hope, reverence, and praise. Psalms 121 verse 2 says, My help come from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. I think it gave David peace and strength and confidence to think that his help came from the very person who created the entire earth. Psalms 146 verse 5 says, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob to his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is therein, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion. Unto all generations, praise ye the Lord. I think that thinking of God in the aspect as the creator or our creator puts into perspective how big our God is and how small our problem is. And it asks us where our faith is. In the creator or in the creation? In the big thing or in the small one? In him or in yourself? In him or in your trials? In him or in the systems of men? In the creator who can make manna fall from heaven? Or in Egypt who offers you cucumbers for bondage? Sometimes we have to pull back and see the big picture of God as our creator so that we can properly pray in faith. I think it stirs faith more than anything. When you go to your prayer, thinking of him as the one who created everything, what's too hard for him? What's too big? I think it will change the way you ask in your prayer closet. I think it will change the things you expect. This name and its attributes takes away our excuses. So the next time you pray, think of him as this and ask big. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching the depths of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So what's in a name? We're going to look a little bit into the name. If you look up a list of the names of God, they're going to tell you that the first personal name of God given is Jehovah Elohim. So that's the name of our lesson. This is the Hebrew version. This would be Jehovah, and this would be Elohim, but I'm going to get it to you. I'm going to break it down. It's Lord God. I was going to say they read backwards, but actually we read backwards. 
because it started this way, our language came later, and most languages do still read this way, which should be easier for me because I'm dyslexic. <laughs> All right, so Lord God. In context, it is the creator God because in the passages that it's giving, it's talking about how he created. For right now, we're going to leave this aside because we already explained what the Elohim are. We're going to look more at this one. This is the one that's interpreted in your Bible a lot as Lord with all caps. I'm going to explain to you why that is. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So you get to the story of Moses. The scriptures weren't written yet. Remember, it says that he talked face to face with God like God talks to a friend. He gives Moses the information, firsthand account. God is the eyewitness. He tells him how the creation happened and all of these things. Moses writes the first five books. The first time that Moses is given the personal name of God is at the burning bush. So when he goes back and writes the books, he writes the personal name, but it actually was given to him at the burning bush. The name that was given to Moses at the burning bush when he was talking to him was this word here, E-H-Y-E-H. It's pronounced Eheh. It means I will be. So when God first gave his personal name, he said, my name is I will be. Who will he be? We'll find out in a minute. So Moses has to go down and tell the people what I will be said, but he can't go and say I will be because he's not God. So he goes and tells them Y-A-H-W-E-H. Yahweh, which means he will be. He will be Yahweh. That's where the name Yahweh comes from. So Moses talks to them and says, he will be is his name. Who will he be? We'll find out in a minute. The Hebrews decided after this point, because Moses did speak the name, there was no restriction from God not to speak the name, but the Hebrews later decided that it would be an act of reverence for them not to speak the name out loud or to read it out loud. So in scripture, when they would come to this name, instead of reading it, they would say Adonai, which is A-D-O-N-A-I, which means Lord or Master. So in the scripture, when you see Lord in all caps, that's where it came from. It means that originally the word Yahweh was there. They were saying Adonai, which means Lord. But it's all caps Lord, which means God as Lord and not just a regular Lord because a Lord can be a master. Like Abraham was Sarah's Lord because he was her husband. But all caps Lord is God's personal name. However, to prevent the name from accidentally being read aloud, they went a little further later on. They were always trying to do a little more. So the first thing they did was to take the word Yahweh and remove the vowels, which gives you Y-H-W-H, which is pronounced yod heh vav yeah. And that's what you see here. If you go and look in your Strong's at the capital letter Lord here, 
and you look in the Strong's, it's going to tell you this was what was in the original text. They didn't write the full name of God either. They wrote just the consonants, which is the yod heh vav heh which is basically them spelling this out. All right, so for someone who really wanted to be super spiritual and a little extra Jewish, you would actually read the name Yohe Vav Elohim, but nobody would know what you were talking about. They would recognize Jehovah Elohim. Okay, that's not good enough. Next generation takes it a little further. Well, extra super Jewish. This is, this is getting really good here. So what if we accidentally say it because we know what it is? So then they combine the consonants from the name of God with the vowels from the word Lord, which gives you Y-A-H-O-W-A-H. Excuse my handwriting, I'm writing upside down. Yahuwah. It's not a real word. And they never actually said that word. It was just a visual cue for them to know that it was a combination of the name of God and the word Lord. So that God is our Lord. That's why it's written in your Bible as Lord God. Now, when English translators come along, they don't know that it's a made-up word, that the Jews don't really even say the word, so they translate that word as Jehovah. That's why when you look up in the Bible and you're like, where is all this coming from? It doesn't make sense. It's the name of God. In your English Bible, it says Lord in all caps. The wording is this in the Hebrew, which is these four letters, the Yahed Vav He, but yet it says the name is Jehovah. That's how it happened. <laughs> no ill to the word Jehovah, because it was a made-up word that just came into translation. I'm just giving you some history on how it came about, because that's how languages are formed. And let's be honest, almost all words are made up. God gave Adam that authority. He said, go name things. You can make up words. It's okay. So there are those who don't like the word Jehovah because it's a made-up word. It's still a word. To me, there's a combination of the name of God and the word Lord, which means to me that God is our Lord. So there's no problem to me with using Jehovah as a title. It still has meaning. It's interesting to me. I like the origins of words to see where it came from. But what appeared in the original text would have been this. The yod he vav he. So to say Jehovah and all those things you just wrote all mean the same thing. Jehovah is a combination of Yahweh and Adonai. Adonai means Lord. Yahweh is his name when he said he will be. It's a combination of he will be Lord. He will be Lord. So God has his hand in all of it anyway. Who is our Lord? This is actually the name that he gave which nobody uses because he's saying, I will be. And if we use it, then we would be claiming to be him. So we, nobody uses that word. But Jehovah just means these two put together. But in your King James, it's going to look like this, all caps. All right. So let's look at the yod Hey vav Hey, since that's what this is. Y'all took y'all pictures. I'm about to erase all these words. yod Hey vav Hey. 
When we took Hebrew class, my favorite part was the paleo version. For those who don't know, the paleo version is the oldest version of the Hebrew language. It's really the oldest version of pretty much any language. And most other languages, if not all, are derived from it. And it was basically uh, pictograms, so they each had a meaning. And when the way these pictograms were put together gave you descriptions and information about the word. The Yod was in the paleo, looked like this. It's depiction of a hand reaching out. Most people would say God's hand reaching out, hand of help. It's where we get our modern Y from. The He has actually in the paleo, it looks like this, which is kind of interesting. We thought this was cool when we figured this out. Looks kind of like our little, our logo, huh? The worship man, the worship man logo. It's the H, like Heart of Worship Church. So our logo is like the abbreviation. It's, it's to behold or to look or to worship, but it also, in the Hebrew, every letter has a numeric value also. And it's the numeric value of five, which means grace. So the Vav is like this. It represents a nail or a connector in the paleo. And then, of course, the hay again, same thing. The grace man, he, he's a little happy. He's dancing. So when you look at the yod hay vav hay, this, the personal name of God, for what each letter represents, you could read its meaning as this, the hand of God reaching out to give us grace is nailed to a cross connecting us back to God and giving us grace regardless. That's who he will be. The one who reaches out to give us grace is nailed, connects us back to God and gives us grace anyway. So even through death, he brings forth a new creation. That's who Jehovah Elohim is, the creator. He created a new man. He created a way where there was no way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And like that, it was mentioned in Sunday and Sunday school when it says creature, the original wording was creation. You become a new creation. Faith in God, the creator, is faith for the impossible. A faith that doesn't have to make sense because it is so much bigger and more powerful than we can think or imagine. It's surrendering to the truth that we cannot search the depths of his understanding. Whatever the need, he can do it because he made you and he can remake you if he needs to. So just believe. We can't create. Man cannot create. We can only build out of that which has already been created. So we try to take the tools that we have and fix situations. How about praying to Jehovah Elohim, the creator, to just fix it? And even if he has to recreate something to do it, believe that he can. David prayed in Psalms 51 verse 10, Create in me, O God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. He asked God to create a new heart, a clean one in him. God promised in the prophets, Jeremiah, that he would come and give us a new heart. He would create a new heart and put his spirit within us. God is still 
creating. When he creates this new heart and puts his spirit within us, he creates a whole new man, a new creation, a new creature in Christ. I prayed for a guy once he had like chronic fatigue and very tired and I was praying for his adrenal gland because if you have issues with your adrenal gland, it'll give you chronic fatigue syndrome. And he said, oh, I don't have one. The doctors took it out. So, okay, well, come on, God, put it back. You made it. You can remake it. Is it too hard? He did it. He put it there the first time. If he did it before, he can do it again. It changes your faith level and the way that you pray and the things that you ask for when you think of him as the creator. He can do what he needs. The creator doesn't need any pre-laid out set of conditions for something miraculous to happen. He doesn't need a formula. You can't invoke or control him. He doesn't need our skill, our strength, our money, our tools, or our talent. He makes something out of nothing. So ask him. Ask big. Ask impossible. Ask for rivers in the deserts and paths in the wilderness. Ask him to create a way where there is no way. And believe that he can. Believe in Jehovah Elohim. It takes faith to ask God to resurrect something that was but is now dead. We've talked about resurrection power a lot lately. But we should have faith for that because he can do it. But how about we start believing for him to create something totally new and completely unimagined? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, and we're coming to an end. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. God is a creator. God is so much bigger, so much grander, that we cannot even imagine the things that he has in store. But we do have access to his Holy Spirit that can give us a glimpse of it. Why can't we imagine it? Because there are things that he has not yet even created that are still coming. And you try to figure out how he can make a situation happen, that's not faith. Faith says he's so much bigger, it doesn't matter because he can do it. He can create something new if he needs to. We're going to close in Revelations chapter 21, verse 1. That's all the way at the end of the book. You think it's the end, but it's just the beginning because he's still creating. He's working on the next series. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful.
tonight as we look a little bit more into the personal name of God, the first one given in Scripture, Jehovah Elohim, the Creator. You can look at it as the encompassment of one who is grander, greater, bigger, stronger, better than anything you could ever hope for or imagine. He created us in the beginning. He made a way to recreate us through Jesus. And he's coming again with a new creation. We're going to have glorified bodies. He's bringing a new earth, a new heaven. And we don't even know what comes on the other side of that. But he is still creating. So nothing is impossible or too hard. Go into your prayer closet with that image of who he is, that attribute. And I think we'll be less tempted to put our hands in and mess things up and do things ourselves, or give up or think that it's too far gone or it's too hopeless. It stirs faith. It makes him God and us not. So, Lord, we just thank you for giving us this name, this attribute. Lord, we thank you for telling us that you were the one who would be, the one who would come with your hand reached out to us, trying to give us grace, that it would be nailed to a cross, but yet it would connect us back to that grace anyway, that even in death you created life. You brought something new. You made the new man. You brought your children together again and filled us with your spirit. You gave us a new heart. You are a creator from beginning to now to forever. You are still creating and nothing is too hard for you, Lord. So let us bring our situations to you with that thought and with that faith and with that understanding of your greatness, of your omnipotence, of your omnipresence, of your, your vastness, of the expanse of who you are, that it is grander than the universe, Lord. It's more than we can imagine. So how small is our problem after all? Lord, we pray that you implant this in us, this revelation of who you are as our creator. Lord, we pray today corporately that you would move in a mighty way to help to free the minds of the children who have been polluted and weakened against it, Lord, that they have been educated into things that steal their faith away and steal away this aspect of you. The very first thing you wanted us to know about you is that you created us, Lord. So let us grab hold of that. Let us believe it, Lord. Let us teach it to our children, Lord. And let us remember to pray for those whose minds have been weakened against this truth, Lord, so that they cannot understand anything that you have for them beyond that, Lord. Lord, help us to see you for who you are to see your attributes, to not give you our own, to not see you as an extension of us, Lord, but to see you so wholly set apart, separate and different, and to learn of who you are through your names, through the things that you have given us to show us, to paint that picture of who you are in relation to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.